I would say RNG is often considered first for a, as a direct replacement to natural gas because it can often be fully interchangeable. But RNG can be even more impactful when substituted for more carbon intensive fuels such as diesel. Hello and welcome to Energy 360, the podcast from the Energy Security and Climate Change Program at CSIS. I'm your host, Lisa Highland. This week, we talk about renewable natural gas with Jeff Dietz. Jeff is the Director of Federal Government Affairs at the Coalition for Renewable Natural Gas, or RNG Coalition. The RNG Coalition is a nonprofit based here in Washington, D.C., dedicated to the sustainable advancement of renewable natural gas as a clean and domestic energy resource with a role to play in combating climate change. Jeff will talk about what RNG is and isn't, its growth potential for here in the United States, and where its use can be most beneficial. I'll turn it over to Ben now to lead the conversation. All right, Jeffrey Dietz from the Coalition for Renewable Natural Gas. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Thanks, Ben. Really appreciate the opportunity. I'm looking forward to talking with you about renewable natural gas. So I think some people in our audience are probably familiar with RNG, but it might be useful to start with a basic question here today, which is, what is RNG? How is it produced? And what are the, the means and the different waste feedstocks used to produce renewable natural gas? Thanks for the question, Ben. So RNG, or renewable natural gas, is derived from the capture, cleaning, and conditioning of methane and other gaseous emissions from organic waste. So that's food waste, animal manure, wastewater, and, and other discarded organic material. So methane that otherwise would have been emitted into the atmosphere is refined into a clean, reliable energy resource in RNG, which is functionally equivalent to conventional natural gas uh, and can be seamlessly blended into the natural gas pipeline system. Right. So you often hear the terms renewable natural gas, biogas, and biomethane. I think you just pointed out the distinction between biogas and RNG. But can you just clarify what's the, the difference between it? RNG, biogas, and biomethane? Are they the same? So RNG and, and biomethane are, are effectively synonymous. You'll hear them used interchangeably. I think in, in, in Europe, principally, you're referred to as, as biomethane, RNG in the United States. Uh, and then, yeah, biogas, you can consider that kind of the, the precursor gas to RNG. So biogas unto itself before it is uh, or can be upgraded to RNG, it can also be used for other purposes. It can be used to produce electricity or combined heat power, uh, but that's uh, effectively the distinction between between those three. So let's talk about the scale of production in the United States. How much RNG is produced in the U.S. today and where is it produced? Can you talk about the geographical spread? And in terms of the sense of scale, how big is RNG compared with overall dry gas production in the United States. Maybe you can also just give us a sense of what's the trend in, in RNG output. How's it changing? Right. So in terms of RNG projects that are currently operational, we see about 115, about 115 billion cubic feet of production. There's a roughly another 55 to 60 BCF under construction and then another 115 or so BCF in planned projects. So, you know, we're anticipating pretty significant growth just within the next just within the next two to five years. The largest projects, the landfill projects, um, of which we count about 90 or so, roughly a third of those are in landfill projects in, in, in Pennsylvania, 
Um, those landfill projects, I should say, are, are, in, are in Pennsylvania and Texas. The agricultural projects are principally located in large dairy states. So think uh, California, Wisconsin, uh, Idaho. Um, and I should mention too, the, the figures I cited before, that's production on an annual basis. You know, given the variety and the diversity of of feedstocks, you know, the there's relative geographic dispersion of RNG production across the United States. RNG production is currently approaching about one percent of um, uh, of total natural gas demand. I think out to 2040, 2050, that that potentially approaches perhaps 10 to 15%, um, I would say, probably in a higher growth scenario. And that production would come not just from anaerobic digestion feedstocks, which I mentioned previously, but that RNG production could also come through um, what are called kind of gasification pathways, which is the basically the, the thermochemical conversion of different feedstocks, uh, agricultural forest residues, uh, woody biomass energy crops that can be used to produce uh, renewable natural gas and renewable gas more generally. So when we look at the, the trends and output of RNG, can you talk about the differences uh, between landfill gas and RNG from agricultural systems? Is one growing faster than the other? Yeah, so so landfill currently accounts for about 70% of RNG. Agricultural feedstock produces about 19, uh, I think I believe it's about 19, 20%. Um, certainly, we see a lot of growth on the on the agricultural side. The yield of landfill projects is considerably greater than agricultural projects. On the landfill side, you also see a lot of landfill gas to electricity or landfill gas to kind of combined heat power, both on site and in kind of just what are called just over the fence, what we refer to as just over the fence projects, which are nearly you know geographically proximate or close by. So you know a lot of different and interesting. Uh, kind of business models that are helping to build out the agricultural waste RNG project portfolio, increasingly kind of smaller, medium size and smaller smaller farms. I think those those projects will become kind of more economical with time. So that's sort of the breakdown between the two. There's also you know RNG from wastewater treatment plants. That's a smaller basket. It's probably about five percent or so of total RNG produced. And then from dedicated kind of centralized food waste facilities, that's another five or six percent as well. Okay, that's helpful background. And maybe you could also give a sense of how big this industry is outside the United States. So I know in Europe, for example, biomethane is part of the 55 emissions reduction plan. It was something that came up during the Repower EU plan, which is kind of the EU strategy to reduce dependence on fossil fuels and Russian imports. Um, but give us a sense of how big this sector is outside the United States and what's the base of production in Europe and other regions. Sure. So according to IEA, global RNG biomethane supply uh, was about 7 BCM in 2022. IEA data has US production in 2022 at 2 BCM, two of that seven. Our data suggests it's probably closer to three. EU countries, again, according to IEA, reached 4 BCM last year. The remainder there comes from Asia, China, India, Thailand, as well as then Argentina and Brazil. Important to bear in mind, though, there, Ben, that that 
biomethane is really only it's a, it's a it is a subset of the broader global biogas industry. So it's not just that you know biogas can be used to be upgraded to biomethane, but that biogas can also be used for cogeneration, building heating, power generation. Now you mentioned the EU in particular, so um, the EU has pretty aggressive plans for RNG or, or, or biomethane, as the Europeans refer to it, for biomethane development, deployment, and utilization. So they have, under the, the Repower EU plan, calls for more than a 10x increase in biomethane production to about 35 BCM of annual production by 2030. And so there's a biomethane industrial partnership that was that was stood up to to help achieve that goal. And so you see where particularly in the European context, there's more of an I say like an existential kind of energy security value proposition that biomethane offers. So certainly I think we'll continue to see both Europe and the US drive a lot of future growth uh, in in production. So RNG is one potential solution to a big problem, which is methane emissions. You know, oil and gas methane emissions are a big share of global man-made uh, methane emissions, but the agricultural sector is huge as well. And that's due to enteric methane emissions, stuff that comes from the ruminant systems of, of cows and other, other animals, but also a lot of it is about manure management. So I think that's one of the reasons why there's been increased focus on RNG. But I wonder if you could just talk broadly about what role renewable natural gas has in the energy transition as a solution to the methane issue, as a solution to this broader challenge that we're facing of how to transition energy systems and, and lower emissions. What, what's the role for RNG in this big picture? Look, first and foremost, um, and, and this is something that me and my colleagues, I think, really tried to, to focus on is that near term, we see RNG as, as a cost-effective tool for significant methane abatement. Right. And I think as you rightfully note, Ben, and you know, a topic where CSIS has been focusing a lot is on, on, on cross-industry uh collaboration on on methane abatement and understanding all the various um you know sources of methane emissions that we have to deal with. But but organic waste from landfills, wastewater treatment, you know, manure management at livestock operations, I mean that those sources accounted for 23% of methane emissions in the US from 1990 through 2021, compared to 29% from natural gas and petroleum systems. So it's, you know, there's there's rough parity there. Um, and, you know, according according to some studies done by done by one of our members, outfit called uh, Energy Vision, which does policy and, and, and market research and analysis on anaerobic digestion and waste to energy pathways, GHG abatement from RNG would cost just $16 per ton of CO2 equivalent compared to $67 per ton for, say, capping abandoned or orphaned oil and gas wells. So, that's not to say that we're in the business of kind of picking winners and losers here, but I think in terms of discovering cost-effective and significant methane abatement potential, this is where we see RNG playing a really important role kind of in the near to medium term here. RNG deployment, in addition to abating methane, also generates right saleable products, including fuel and compost, which can attract private investment, you know, and, and we see of recent where California's LCFS program coupled with the RFS, the EPA RFS program has driven significant increases in methane abatement from the dairy sector just over the last five years. 
Um, so that's where we tend to focus, I think, in the in the near term, right? RNG, right? Remembering, recalling that it is functionally equivalent to 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 conventional natural gas, right? Can decarbonize natural gas use cases in a variety of sectors, including transportation, power generation, gas distribution. Certainly, when we think longer term about the hard hard to decarbonize, um, you know, industrial sectors, there's a big role to play for for RNG as well. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the policy and the regulatory drivers for the industry. I mean, you've laid out a case for exploring different ways to to think about RNG as a potential solution here, but it seems like there's a pretty big policy push as well. You mentioned the LCFS in California. Obviously, there's federal attention paid to renewable natural gas in the Inflation Reduction Act. So maybe you can just summarize for our listeners, what are the big regulatory and policy drivers for RNG? Sure. LCFS program in California, certainly that compliance market has provided, I think, a huge, I mean, a huge tailwind, been a huge driver for for dairy waste derived RNG. There are also LCFS programs in Oregon and Washington. These kind of credit-based programs are focused on reducing carbon emissions from from the transportation system by by providing credits, which can be traded separately and generating additional revenue or premiums over commodity natural gas prices. There are also a number of renewable gas and clean heat standards across different states, and those can take the form of RNG procurement mandates, or they allow utilities to recover operating costs associated with RNG investment. We see mandatory, voluntary, and and other kind of enabling policies in in 44 states and provinces inclusive of Canada. At the federal level, um, the EPA's RFS program has provided a tailwind for RNG production and utilization as a transportation fuel. RNG qualifies uh, as a, a D3 or cellulosic biofuel, as well as a D5 or advanced biofuel. There are also several USDA uh, uh, agriculture programs authorized by the Farm Bill that directly and indirectly incentivize bar- biogas and, and RNG, RNG projects. Um, and then, of course, at current, there are a number of IRA energy credit facilities, energy tax credits, um, that are supportive of industry. So the investment tax credit that's been utilized by wind and solar historically has been extended to to biogas systems. Um, the Section 45V tax credit for clean hydrogen offers the potential for RNG and biomass feedstock to clean hydrogen production. There's also the 45Z clean fuels production tax credit, which can be leveraged once the credit takes effect um, in in 2025. So a variety of different state and uh, and federal policy and and regulatory uh, levers, you know, that are important to to RNG development, deployment, and utilization. Yeah, so that's a pretty big list of different tax incentives and federal and state programs. I mean, I think there's been some criticism that RNG gets too much support in the form of tax incentives. How would you respond to that? Yeah, you know, I would say, look, you know, certainly in a country like ours where we see, you know, large geologic natural gas producer, we can produce gas, we can produce geologic natural gas at very, very low prices. And it's it's a blessing in many ways. And so certainly RNG production, it, it does come at a premium. But I think it's important, it's important to recognize that RNG production is not only producing a, a saleable product, a saleable fuel um, with tremendous versatility, not just as a fuel, but also as a feedstock. But it's also resulting in tremendous methane abatement. Um, and there remains 
tremendous potential to abate methane from, from RNG deployment. Um, and so I think when you look out, we look at the market right now, I mean, you know, absent even in some instances, policy and regulatory support, we see large, large players, large multinational companies, um, other large institutions, which are, uh, are paying premiums for RNG because they recognize uh, the value proposition as a near-term decarbonization tool. They recognize it as uh, a means to work toward near medium-term sustainability and ESG goals. Um, and so I think, you know, in the same way that we've seen policy and regulatory support help other renewable energy resources kind of get off the ground during their early growth stages and 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 when industry was nascent, uh, I think RNG deserves the same support, particularly when you consider that value proposition of um, you know, considerable methane abatement that that RNG production and RNG uh, project deployment offers. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, I think the difference between methane emissions from the ag sector and from landfills is that it doesn't offer the same kind of immediate economic incentives for those stakeholders as you see in oil and gas. You know, with natural gas production, the more of your core product you can capture, the more you can sell. So there's a clear economic incentive to do it to capture all the emissions at a landfill or at a dairy farm or a big uh, ag operation with manure management, you, know, you need some incentives to get people to, to get out this problem and solve it. So that's why those uh, federal tax incentives and subsidies exist, right? Absolutely. We need, I would say, you know, source reduction of organic waste first and foremost, right? There are other kind of manure management programs out there in states like California, right, which exist alongside incentives for deployment of anaerobic digesters, right? And these kinds of programs can op operate in a, in a complementary way. So, you know, um, we're firm believers in, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle as a best practice in terms of waste management. And otherwise, again, source reduction of waste before we, before we start to talk about what we can do with, with organic waste. Okay. So you mentioned a little bit about the some of the acquisitions in the space and the corporate activity, you know, the industry is scaling up and it seems like some companies have looked at expanding RNG operations. So can you just give us a breakdown of what's happened in the last year or two on that front? Yeah. So a, a lot of, a lot of great M&A activity. Um, I think, you know, you've seen a really positive policy and regulatory outlook in the US and Europe as RNG becomes increasingly relevant with regard to decarbonization and energy security. I mean, just in the last 18 months, we've seen M&A activity north of $10, 12000000000 billion, right? From, you know, large asset managers um, purchasing RNG developers, the large, large energy players, historical kind of vertically integrated oil and gas companies, Shell and BP made acquisitions totaling $6 billion. Just last week, uh, Enbridge acquired seven landfill to RNG projects uh, from, from Moro Renewables. That's a portfolio worth about, I mean, over a billion dollars. So very real uh, and significant investment uh, taking place. Um, I think this generally reflects a lot of the optimism in the RNG market, uh, the growth potential, you know, the versatility of RNG, you know, the ability that RNG really affords to help to help companies progress toward decarbonization and sustainability goals in the near to medium term. So let's talk about um, the buyer incentives. So 
there are incentives for supplying the stuff, as you mentioned. Um, but in the same way that certified natural gas or lower emissions gas has gotten a boost because you have buyer incentives through sustainability or ESG or net zero goals, I imagine the same is true for RNG. Can you just walk us through exactly how that works? What are the corporate targets that help increase demand for RNG? And what does that mean commercially for producers? So RNG can can effectively support reduction of, of scope one and two emissions while also then providing you know additional carbon offsets through through methane abatement. Uh, and then in additionally non-climate environmental benefits through through organic waste processing. So it's it's I would say RNG is often considered first for a, as a direct replacement to natural gas because it can often be fully, you know, fully interchangeable. But RNG can be even more impactful when substituted for more carbon intensive fuels such as such as diesel. So there's certainly a you know growing interest amongst multinational companies, especially manufacturers that have been working to reduce emissions um, and are struggling to tackle hard to decarbonize processes that rely on conventional natural gas. In June, Ben, we saw one of the largest offtake or the largest offtake agreement in the 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 RNG voluntary market to date. Um, AstraZeneca, large pharmaceutical company, announced an agreement with with RNG developer and RNG coalition member Vanguard Renewables to begin producing RNG for its facilities in Delaware. And this was done pursuant to, to AstraZeneca's goal to achieve net zero by 2045. The University of California school system is, is, is the largest RNG buyer in the voluntary space. They've set a goal to secure 40% of their gas from renewable sources by 2025. I think you see a lot of gas utilities around the country are doing the same thing. In some instances, they're mandated to do so. In, in some cases, there are kind of cost recovery mechanisms that allow them to do so. But, but in many instances, uh, gas utilities are acquiring RNG at a significant premium. So by and large, you know, I think companies and other institutions recognize that RNG is one of the fastest ways to work toward ESG and sustainability goals while also maintaining operational profitability. I want to skip back to the production side for a minute and talk about scale to produce RNG. So I went on a site visit earlier this year to a big dairy farm in Colorado. It was a huge operation. It was, I think, more than 6,000 cows. And they had built anaerobic digesters on site. We're very happy with it. Uh, But that's a big operation. So maybe you can walk us through exactly what kind of scale is required to make RNG projects economic, both from animal waste on farms and, and from landfill gas. And it seems to me like a challenge that the industry faces is, you know, it might work for a very large municipal landfill or, you know, a place with that kind of scale. But is there a way to achieve economies of scale through different farms by building integrated systems? For example, if you've got neighboring farms, can you share infrastructure? Can they use the same large anaerobic digesters? How can you scale this up when you have kind of dispersed stakeholders, maybe with smaller operations? Sure. Well, no, I think, look, you've, I think uh, with respect to the Agway side, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head in terms of how the how the business models are kind of evolving, um, you know, on, on landfills. Yes. I mean, there are, there are certain economies of scale there just given, given the gas yield that, that landfills offer. And that's, that's a large part of the reason that RNG production from landfills accounts for such a significant total percentage of RNG production 
On the dairy side, you know, you're looking at multiple thousand head of cattle, usually between three and five thousand for projects to be economical. You also have some instances where farms will source food waste to their digesters to complement um, to complement manure feedstock. But yeah, I, certainly there are models been around kind of hub and smoke where you have multiple farms, um, you know, geographically proximate farms sourcing their manure to centralized digesters. Those models will result in, I think, smaller, small, medium-sized farms increasingly being able to, you know, economically deploy uh, anaerobic digesters and and RNG upgraders moving forward. Let's talk about the constraints on this industry, both on the supply side and the demand side. So you've given us a sense of scale relative to overall natural gas production in the U.S. today, and it seems like it's growing and there's probably a higher growth ceiling to be reached, but. There's only so many landfills and so many <laughs> dairy operations in the United States, right? So what are the constraints on the on the supply side? And then maybe the same on the demand side. So you've talked about some of the incentives for buyers and the credits that are available and how it fits into their overall sustainability targets. But you know, when you think about the long-term pathway for RNG on the supply side and the demand side, how much room is there to grow? What are the real constraints? Yeah, so I guess maybe starting on the on the demand side, you know, I think we see that that policy and regulatory levers at the federal and state level will continue to drive significant demand i mean across all of the all of the 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 natural gas end uses in the longer term i think that's that's most likely the hard to abate segments of the economy and it's not just i would say demand for rng in the long term as well but also the capture and beneficial use of the biogenic co2 byproduct of rng production, right? Which could of course be used to produce e-fuels or methanol, right? We also see, I think, voluntary markets um, then over the longer term for RNG, we'll see, you know, significant demand. I wouldn't frame it as a constraint, but perhaps a challenge to us is to to advance education and broader awareness of RNG as a renewable resource uh, and getting that message out. You know, not just to large corporates and financial institutions, but also to civil society writ large. I think, you know, some portion of the energy transition will depend on large commercial and non-commercial entities voluntarily enacting decarbonization strategies of some as some already have, right? And so I think we intend to educate corporate leaders, not just corporate leaders, but also communities, civil society about the sustainability credentials of RNG as a ready at hand tool to reduce scope one, scope two emissions. I think on the demand side, we're, we're fairly covered. You know, Certainly on the supply side, look, as far as we're concerned, when we look out, certainly on the, on the ag pathway side, you know, we've only reached, I think, about 7% penetration on dairy farms that we believe could, could economically accommodate uh, anaerobic digesters and RNG, RNG upgraders. On the swine side, hog farms were at roughly 1%. There's also pilot projects at poultry farms as well. So I think we've got a long way to go on the agway side. There's similar growth potential at landfills as well, um, especially when you think about the prospects of you know, uh, landfill gas to electricity or, or landfill gas to just over the fence biogas projects. Uh, when you think about you know power purchase agreements that that might be coming up on on expiration, 
right? There may be opportunities to deploy further uh, RNG upgraders to those existing landfills as well. And then look, longer term, when you think about food waste diversion policies that are out there, that opens up opportunities for kind of centralized food waste projects located principally around large population centers as well. And then on top of that, Ben, that's just what we refer to as the anaerobic digestion feedstock kind of uh, waste to RNG pathways. There's also the the gasification pathways of the you know wood waste, agricultural forest residues, and there's you know much greater potential for production through gasification. You know when when coupled with the production pathways that can be achieved through anaerobic digestion and production from landfills. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, as you mentioned, CSIS has been doing a lot of work on cross industry methane emissions issues and. and- potential collaboration. And to me, one of the striking things is that we have this methane challenge in multiple industries, in oil and gas, in different segments of agriculture, and in waste. And yet, because the problems are so different, a lot of investors and NGOs and others tend to take kind of a siloed approach to one or the other. But RNG is interesting because it's kind of at the nexus, especially of ag and and landfill issues. Um, And it gets at some of the economic challenges so all that is to say, I am really grateful to you for um, coming on the podcast today to talk about it. Definitely look forward to hearing what's next for RNG, but really appreciate you sharing your insights about this industry and what's next. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Ben. And 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 let me make a plug for the great work of, of CSIS and, and the work that you all are doing. And I, I think I had mentioned the cross-industry collaboration and methane reduction. So I think it's it's timely. It's absolutely critical. Uh, and, and to my knowledge, you all have pole position on kind of the thought leadership there. So thanks to you all for really leading on that. Uh, and thanks for the opportunity to participate here. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the kind words. And thanks to everyone for being with us today. Thanks to Jeff for joining us this week. I encourage you all to take a look at the work the RNG Coalition is doing. Their website has some really useful information to get you started. Jeff joined our recent event on cross-industry collaboration on methane reductions. If you would like to know more about our work in this area, you should check it out. There are links in our show notes. As always, you can find episodes of Energy 360 wherever you listen to podcasts and at CSIS.org. Thanks for listening.